tonight, 7 p.m. I suppose for the Army, uh, with Thomas The Rock Watts, uh, as, as always, is my co-host and producer. The Alabama Crimson Tide, I think everyone's probably recovered by now. What a shootout at the OK Corral in Oxford, Mississippi. The largest crowd in the history of Ole Miss football, 66,000 people crammed in uh, to Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, and yet they left with mostly frowns on their faces. And once again, a smaller crowd than Alabama usually has at their 8 day games, but I digress, still an electric atmosphere. The Ole Miss Rebels jumping on Alabama 24-3. Things looked bleak for the Tide. And then a man in the white number two jersey continued to grow his legend, as did Eddie Jackson uh, with an electric punt return. Alabama gets back in the game by halftime, 24-17. Dominates the contest in the second half for most of it until a late flurry by a very salty Ole Miss team led by Chad Kelly cutting the lead to 48-43, but Alabama runs the clock out with a couple of first downs, overcoming a near-catastrophic fumble from Bo Scarborough uh, to move on 48-43 to and uh, remain unbeaten and number one in the country. Thomas, as you tweeted during the game, man, college football is fun. It is fun, Drew, but uh, I have to say, you know, I'm leaving that game kind of thirsty because Ole Miss facilities were not ready for the Crimson Tide, and they ran out of water. You know. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was, that that was not good. Some of the horror stories that came out of that game from that front were were unfortunate to read. But no, on the field, the product. You know, I said on your show on Monday, and I'm just going to echo my previous comments. All the ingredients are there. All the ingredients are coming together for the Crimson Tide to do something special, and that is that is a good feeling four weeks into the season. Well, it is, and uh, it's exciting. Just kind of, you want to see uh, how the uh, offense develops uh, under Jalen Hurts, and we're going to talk to William Redfish Barger here in just a few minutes and get his thoughts now that he's had a chance to digest that. And we also have some injury news for the Crimson Tide. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of where's Robert Foster. Uh, we kind of gave some insight into why he hadn't been playing here exclusively on BAM's radio last week. Had people asking about. Uh, you know, why is Robert Foster in the doghouse? And I, all I would tell him is listen to BAM's radio and listen to the replay. And uh, we had a classic response from William Redfish Barger when I did give the information. He said, he what? But that was true with the Robert Foster getting hit in the head, watching himself on the Jumbotron in Dallas. One, one of the many reasons, myriad of reasons, he had not been playing much in the first three ball games, But now he's had another injury set back. The young man has had a lot of bad luck, suffering – uh, I believe what, it, what, is, uh, what I've been told is a torn meniscus in his knee uh, in practice this week. Uh, he uh, did it on Tuesday, had surgery this morning, and will Coach Saban said he was questionable yesterday. He's probably slated to miss two to six weeks of action, Robert Foster, and we wanted to bring you that here on BAM's radio. He will be out. We, were not, we won't put that on a Twitter feed and out on social media, but for those that want to listen to our podcast, that Robert Foster will be out for a few weeks, Thomas Watson. It's, it's, you know, you hate it for him because our Darius Stewart's going to be in business some time too, would have been given an opportunity to perform. But now uh, Cameron Sims uh, must step up. You'll see Trevon Diggs on offense more. And, of course, Garrick Dieter catch the damn ball. Yeah, I was going to say catch the damn ball, Mr. Dieter. But, I, you know, looking back at the Alabama wide receiver group, everybody was really excited about Cam Sims' pre-injury. And 
I know my expectations personally have been diminished for the young man, if only because he hasn't shown what he was pre-injury. I'm not saying he can't get there. I'm saying based off the film that I've seen and the games that I've seen live, he isn't there yet. But now he's going to have the opportunity. And uh, you can't coach 6'5", much like you can't no. coach 6'2 or 6'3", as we saw this past weekend in Oxford. Well, and, and one other thing I hope we see, Thomas, he only caught two passes, I believe, for 29 yards in the contest. Hopefully, 88 will be targeted more in the next few weeks and to get him rolling. Well, I'm I'm interested to see. I, I need to get an all-22 look at the offense which I simply haven't had time to look at since the Ole Miss game. Because I want to know how many routes O.J. Howard is actually outrunning and how many times is he the primary read. Because if there's one thing that you have to say about Jalen Hurts, you know, Jalen Hurts, he had a fantastic game against uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. I I call it fantastic if there were some mistakes, but – you saw a true freshman really take control of the team and the team rallied behind him, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things you see is most of the throws that he made, particularly in the first half, were quick and on the perimeter. So those were like take the snap, turn, throw, one read type throws. That's not really O.J. Howard's game. At least he hasn't been utilized in that way in his time at the capstone. So I- I'm – I hope that as Jalen Hurts gets more comfortable with the Alabama playbook, the playbook continues to open up and Jalen Hurts continues to prove that he can read a defense or go through a solid progression because generally O.J. Howard is your second or your third option. And in many ways it's hard to complain about that given that Ardarius Stewart and Calvin Ridley are on the outside. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just want to see how his usage expands as the offense Uh, as the offense continues to expand, it's hard for me to really be that critical of him or his usage given how Lane Kiffin scripted the game. Now, ask me after a Mississippi State or after an LSU, and this is still par for the course, then we're going to have a problem. But right now, I'm willing to grant Lane Kiffin a slight hat tip with an understanding that O.J. Howard will be used more going forward. Yeah, and you're right. He does use the wide receivers and uh, that's usually the, the M.O. that Lane uh, goes by, though he did feature his tight ends at times at USC. Uh, we know what he, he found the matchup he wanted in the national championship game, and O.J. Howard went crazy, uh, but would like to see him you know, targeted and throwing the ball down the field. I do think he's a mismatch. Uh, he has improved somewhat in the blocking uh, aspect of his game, but really, uh, I'm not going to lie, I wanted Lane Kiffin fired at halftime. Uh, I thought it was the most piss-poor game he called at Alabama as far as after a brilliant first drive when the only mis-execution you really had was uh, the young quarterback, Jalen Hurts, putting too much air under the ball to hail hinges for a touchdown on a throwback. Uh, after that, he quit running right at them. I know the speed sweeps were kind of setting up some things down the stretch, but I thought he did that a little bit too much. I thought he was too cute and uh, really wasted a lot of time in the first half. But they did make adjustments in the second half. Uh, they got uh, the uh, running game going especially Damian Harris and using uh, Jalen Hurts as a runner. We knew we'd see more of that after he didn't do it very much against uh, Western Kentucky, and uh, everything worked out really well. I mean, uh, Jalen really showed his medal coming back from that huge hit after the blown assignment by Jonah Williams, and we'll talk to William Barger uh, about that. Uh, But uh, we'll see because 
Uh, I, I think Jalen just showed how special he is being 18 years old. Uncommon poise. And uh, Nick Saban did not start him the first game against USC because I'm still – I'm not even sure the coaches knew what they had in Jalen Hurts and how poised he was going to be until the bullet started flying. But everything that we'd heard about him uh, and seen uh, in spring practice and uh, then uh, in the fall has come true thus far. He's still got to clean some things up as far as uh, as a passer, but uh, just so many intangible things. And that's what uh, being a great quarterback a lot of times, what sets the great, great quarterbacks apart from the really good ones and solid ones is the intangible things, the leadership qualities, uh, the toughness, uh, the ability to come back from a hard hit and uh, and continue to play and not let things bother you and and to play that well in that environment and and remember last week we had Richard Cross on this program and he wanted he he basically was in a prove it mode I want Jalen Hurts to prove it to me uh, how good he is and I saw a quote from him on Twitter that 66,000 people did not bother Jalen Hurts and they did not uh, he played very very well did. One heck of a job, and uh, really, uh, in his first true road start, uh, I'd have to give him an A. I mean, he played outstanding football. He didn't throw the ball down the field a lot, uh, but uh, he, you know, he was he was uh, 19 of 31, I believe, for 158 yards, uh, touchdown, uh, no uh, interceptions. Uh, did an outstanding job. Did not turn the football over, uh, and then just really, I think, performed uh, above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, for uh, for the Alabama uh, Crimson Tide. No question about it as we are trying to work uh, William Redfish Barger. Hopefully we will have him here in a minute, but uh, we are really uh, looking forward to getting his take kind of on things and what he saw this past weekend uh, because I know he's been as high uh, as anyone on, uh, on uh, Jalen Hurts, and I know he was very excited about uh, how he played overall, no doubt about it, and we – and we will be speaking uh, with him uh, shortly as Thomas looks to get him on the Sunbelt Tents hotline as our third amigo uh, on BAMS radio, as he usually always is, no doubt about that. Uh, but we also know Nick Saban's having his radio show tonight. Already some feedback from that. And uh, he, uh, he's saying that uh, the devil's in the details is what Nick Saban has already uh, been quoted as saying uh, about that and uh, his team needs to continue to work hard uh, to uh, accomplish what they need to. And now we do have William Barger on the uh, Sunbelt 10 hotline. William, of course, good evening to you on this uh, Thursday. And we were talking about Nick Saban being quoted uh, by Aaron Suttles. The devil is in the details. If we're going to be the team we're capable of, we have to do the little things correctly. I know he's still wanting to clean up some of those penalties, but still, uh, we're still kind of marveling at the performance of Jalen Hurts in his first true road start. And, you know, I think that's probably the the most interesting storyline about this 2016 team is, you know, if you look at what the young man's been able to do um, through three games and, you know, you really kind of start, you know, looking at, you know, his stats through the first three games with what A.J. McCarron did his first year starting in 2011, to look at what he did versus Blake Sims, um, his first three games in 14, and Jake Coker last year. You know, he's ahead of the curve on all three of those guys. Um, you know, I know a lot of Alabama fans, you know, they, they like to sit around and nitpick about the late throws and, 
you know, all that other stuff. But as an Alabama fan, I really don't understand how you can even be even somewhat critical of what he's done. Um, you know, I even saw a post on the Internet this week that, you know, somebody said um, his demeanor really bothers me. Um, you know, I see where a lot of people say that he's got ice water in his veins, but I don't want to see some emotion out of him. I don't want to see any emotion out of him. Um, I, I love the, the ice water facet of, of his demeanor and his personality. And, you know, my response to uh, the late throws, and you know, him squeezing the bejesus out of the football before he makes his throws, I'd much rather him do that than – you know, get rid of the ball quickly and throw a pick six. Um, so, I, you know, I think the, the thing that you really have to look at is, um, you know, th- this is a guy, he's the only um, true freshman quarterback in college football that's been, you know, two out of the three weeks that they give the, you know, the Davey O'Brien Super 8 quarterback award out. He's the only true freshman quarterback and that includes uh, what I think they do it, um, you know, based on whether you're a true freshman or a red for, redshirt freshman. I don't think they differentiate between that. But, you know, after week one, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, the Bouchel kid at Texas is better. Uh, you know, the Francois kid at FSU is better. But both of those guys have had meltdowns. Um, you know, Bouchel versus Cal and, and obviously uh, Francois last week versus Louisville. But uh, I, I just don't understand why people can't see, uh, you know, the greatness in this kid. I mean, he is, you know, won me, he, he won me over, you know, three years ago when I saw him as a damn junior in high school. And I don't have any problem admitting that, you know, I'm, I'm Jalen Hurts' biggest fan. Well, yeah, and I'm a big fan as well. And yeah. I think I've got some, uh, some dead air, and uh, that's my bad. Fish. I'm sorry. I'm trying to help Drew solve his issue that just That's reared okay. up his ugly head. But, um, no, you know, expanding on your point about fans kind of being a little bit too hypercritical, I personally felt the defense, while not the best moment that they've ever had under Nick Saban, did not play as poorly as some fans thought they did. You know, can you expand on that a little and uh, j- just tell us your thoughts about the Alabama defense? Well, you know, I, I certainly was not expecting um, Chad Kelly and that old Miss offense to execute the way that they did. Um, but, but I think if you, you know, you slow things down, if you go back and watch the replay, which is what I had to do because, you know, I was an emotional wreck, especially in the first half, just like every Alabama fan probably was. But, you know, if you go back and you watch it and you look at what they did, um, you know, offensively um, to Alabama, you know, the thing that really jumped off the page at me was, you know, that was not Ronnie Harrison's best game as an Alabama football player um, in year two of his career. I mean, he bid on just about every run pass option that Ole Miss did. Uh, number two, and I think sometimes, you know, as a fan, you have to kind of remove yourself from the, uh, emotion and drama of the game as it's unfolding and, and sit there and study what they're actually doing. And, you know, sometimes if the ball's thrown to a perfect spot and the 
six foot four tight end slash wide receiver, uh, you know, goes up and makes a play on Marlon Humphrey where Marlon Humphrey felt like he had, you know, was supposed to have, you know, help over the top from the safety. Uh, you know, stuff happens. But, you know, for, for what I would say to Alabama fans was, um, you know, you, you saw the team get down by a lot of points real early. Um, they battled back. Um, you know, they kind of got the monkey off of their back with this old Miss program, you know, getting the better of them for the last two years. And, you know, I just thought it was a great team win. You know, the offense at times executed at a high level. Uh, there were times that the defense, you know, when you look at, you know, Jonathan Allen's, you know, fumble recovery for a touchdown, Deron Payne's fumble recovery for a touchdown. Uh, you know, certainly they found their punt returner in Eddie Jackson. You know, he chipped in with a, a punt return for a touchdown. Um, I just felt like it was a good old classic, you know, team win. And, you know, you, you have to have those kind of games uh, during any championship season. And uh, I just didn't really find a lot of stuff that, that went on in that game, even though it was, you know, such a roller coaster ride. I just didn't find a lot of things to complain about myself. No, I'm with you. Uh, you know, my only complaint was my stress level and the fact that I lost, you know, five to ten years off of my existence after that game. But, you know, <laughs> it it happens. You know, that that's part of being a fan, just like it is cheering like a banshee. It happens. But, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about, we, you know, we've talked about this a bunch going through the first couple of weeks, but I, I thought was turned into a major strength was the interior of the offensive line against the Ole Miss Rebels. Since you're a former offensive lineman, you know, what were your thoughts watching that, that group perform, particularly guard center, ta- guard center guard? Well, you know, I think if you go back and watch the game for a second or third time, um, they did a much better job than I actually expected them to do, um, you know, considering the, the flip-flopping of, you know, Alphonse Taylor um, at right guard, Ross Pierce-Bacher back to left guard, and, and Lester Cotton being on the bench. Um, you know, that they did some stuff, um, you know, and I think Lane Kiffin's play calling probably played into this more than anything versus the production up front with those three interior guys. Um, you know, the pass pro was pretty solid all game long. Um, you know, they, they that, that hit that, that Hurts took to the, the chin, you know, was a byproduct of, you know, either Hurts or Bozeman sliding the protection to the left versus the right. Uh, you know, when they walked the, uh, the, the outside linebacker up, um, yeah, that's something that can be corrected with coaching. And I think that's kind of the, the overall theme that I've seen is everything that, you know, because Alabama has left a lot of points, um, you know, out on the field this year and, and through the first three games based on, you know, Jalen Hurts underthrowing a football, uh, the receivers dropping it, uh, a perfect play being executed and a penalty calling it back. You know, they've probably left, you know, easily north of 50 points on the field uh, through the first three ball games, And, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that myself. Um, I, I think that, you know, what needs to be the focus if you're an Alabama fan 
going forward is a um, you should celebrate what you're seeing unfold in, you know, in front of your eyes at the quarterback spot. Um, you know, you're seeing, you know, the rise of Damian Harris and, and, J- and Josh Jacobs at running back. Um, you know, you might be seeing the uh, winter transition of, of maybe Bo Scarborough getting moved to H-back. Um, but, but I think the thing that really excites me, you know, Thomas, and I'm very guilty of this, of, you know, looking at something this early in the season and saying, you know, what's this going to look like a year from now? And when I look out there and I notice that, you know, Cam Robinson, uh, Alphonse Taylor, you have to factor him, I think, in now because I expect him to start at right guard for the rest of the year. And O.J. Howard are the only three players. So you've got eight starters coming back off of this unit, you know, in 2017. You know, they opened the season against Florida State, which will be a very, you know, dangerous opponent. But, you know, what is this unit going to look like this time next year after, you know, Hurts has a whole year to get seasoned and coached at quarterback? Um, you know, you're going to have, you know, three out of five offensive linemen coming back. You know, you do lose O.J. Howard. But, you know, other than, the, you know, the national championship game, uh, you know, against Clemson, just how involved has O.J. Howard been in this offense for the last three years? Um, that, that's what excites me is the potential of what this thing, you know, could look like, you know, mid-October of this year. And then, again, you know, once over uh, against Florida State in the first game of 2017. No, no Fish, I, I'm absolutely with you. I, I, I've said on this program after you've dropped off, and to anybody that, can, uh, that will sit down and listen to me, that I, I think, and this was preseason, if Jalen Hurts wins the job, which obviously he has, next year, which would, would be the, uh, the 2017 season, Alabama could legitimately challenge for the all-time points record if Nick Saban lets them. And the all-time points record was set by Florida State that year that Jameis Winston won a national championship, and it was 723. Now, in order to beat that record, Alabama has to average 50-plus points a game. But with the pieces coming back, and you add a back like a Najee Harris, who everyone's excited about, you could see some really, really, really wild stuff from this Crimson Tide offense. Stuff that, quite frankly, I'm not sure many Bama fans know how to handle because it kind of will look like basketball on turf in a lot of ways. Well, and, you know, Thomas, you bring up a great point because I think, you know, especially in 2017 when you look at, you know, a lot of newcomers that are going to have to factor into the defensive line and and the, the linebacker core, and, you know, I think this is a funny uh, topic because I just, you know, I guess I just didn't realize, um, you know, how many people listen to this podcast. I guess it was the Thursday um, before the USC game week uh, that, w- that we had this conversation. And that Monday, you know, where, where Saban had his press conference and, and said, you know, we were preparing two quarterbacks. Um, you know, for the USC game, and it's Cooper Bateman and Blake Barnett um, to start. That was what the the statement was. And, you know, the previous Thursday night I was on here, and somebody ran out on on a website and said, 
you know, that I said that, uh, um, you know, Cooper Baton would start versus USC and Jalen Hurts would get three series in the first half and the second half. And, oh, by the way, Damian Harris has already beaten out both Scarborough's starting running back. You know, the only thing, you know, people threw darts at, at me for saying that, but the only thing that I had wrong in that equation was that it was Cooper Bateman that would take the first couple of snaps as the starting quarterback versus Blake Barnett. You know, it played out just like I said it would, um, you know, with Hurts and the amount of time that he got versus USC. You know, it was obvious that Damian Harris was the starting running back. Um, So, you know, we've got a bigger listening audience than we think we do. And ha, ha, ha to all the people that threw darts at me on the Internet. The only thing that I had wrong was who the guy was that would take the first six, uh, six snaps of the game. It wasn't Cooper Bateman. It was Blake Barnett. <laughs> hey, man. It's like you're an insider and you know people within the program. Who to, who to thunk it? <laughs> hey, listen, listen. You know, you, you don't have to have, you know, inside connections. You know, look, and I tell people this all the time. You can subscribe to all of the Alabama websites, and I've seen people do this for the last 20 years. Um, you can subscribe to every Alabama website, and you're going to get a little bit of inside information out of all three or four of them, however many there are now. And you can form a pretty intelligent opinion about what's going to happen in recruiting and also, um, you know, with the team. You know, you don't even have to have any inside information. Uh, you know, most people just, you know, lose their minds over certain aspects of the program, and they just can't, you know, put all this together. But because I, I had an interaction with somebody, um, oh, about six or seven years ago, uh, you know, that approached me, and, you know, we had lunch together, and I said, you know, hey, you know, you're kind of considered a, uh, you know, a guy with a lot of connections to the program. And the guy just laughed at me, and I said, what's so funny? He goes, dude, I don't know anybody in, inside the program. I said, well, how do you come up with all this stuff? You obviously know somebody. He goes, I don't know anybody. I have a subscription to all four Alabama, you know, websites. And, you know, I read stuff and, and piece it all together and, and formulate an opinion. And, you know, that's where I would almost like, oh, my God. Um, you know, I, I will never say, you know, who this particular person was. Um Sorry, I got the mosquito truck driving by. Um, You're a popular guy. But, but I was I was kind of shocked at, at you know how much you know e cred this particular person had, and you know they straight up admitted to me that they didn't know anybody inside the program, and they just you know formulated what they posted based on you know the information that they gathered off all the websites, but. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm really excited, Thomas, about, you know, the stuff that I've seen, um, you know, particularly from this team. I still think the defense, uh, particularly the front seven, is an elite unit. Um, you know, they had a, they got roughed up a little bit Saturday versus Ole Miss. But, you know, if you look at the schedule going forward, really the only team out there that I think has even the – smallest potential of doing to uh, that Alabama defense, what Chad Kelly and, and Evan Ingram did. We're trying to get – I'm trying to get Drew back. Continue. Oh, I got you. 
no, no worries. I just, you know, I didn't understand the outburst. Um, <laughs> but, but I think if you look at the schedule going forward, really the only other team on that schedule that can even possibly have a chance of doing this again to Alabama's defense is Texas A&M. You know, and I think that all hinges on, you know, which version of Trevor Knight shows up. Is it the, you know, the Trevor Knight that played, you know, adequately last weekend versus Auburn? Or is it the Trevor Knight that, you know, ran Alabama out of the stadium two years ago in the Sugar Bowl when he was in Oklahoma? And I think you're absolutely right there. a and is the only team that's got the horses, unless Danny Etling becomes Tom Brady for LSU over the next, <laughs> you know, month or so. I feel like that's not going to happen, though. Something about losing the Purdue quarterback job and then going to LSU. Talk about a damning thing for the SEC. But Well, I, I think I'm back, guys. And oh, I, there we go, Drew. Go ahead. I- that uh, that I have uh, mellowed somewhat in my older age, or this computer would already been through a damn window. But uh, well, you know what, like Dave, Drew? You know what's so funny? There's a friend of both of ours that's listening to the show right now, and when yeah. you had your initial meltdown about ten or fifteen minutes ago, I got a text message and said that your meltdown. I guess I couldn't hear it, but it must have been broadcast right. out there into. Uh, uh, you know the the internet scape uh, that they claim that your meltdown over the uh, technical difficulties that we were happening was one of the funniest things that he's ever heard. Well, it probably was. I I probably didn't have it muted soon enough, but uh, like I'll, I'll I say, have some editing to do. It, yeah, probably so. Probably. <laughs> I mean, uh, like I say, these gremlins of these computers, man. They talking about can't access sound cards, all this other bull crap. But I just had to continue to to mess with it, and it continued to cut off, but has finally let me back on. Hopefully I'll be able to stay with you guys. I, I could hear most of the conversation. You guys were uh, just kind of talking about uh, basically college football and this Alabama team and the expectations. And I liked what I heard William say about Damian Harris. Uh, he's really taken a, a leap in, in development. And I don't know if uh, you, you mentioned uh, Joshua Jacobs, but I was really impressed with uh, the role he had this past Saturday. And I'm really looking forward to him hopefully getting more reps along with uh, B.J. Emmons, to Played quite a bit against Western Kentucky, but not so much Saturday except for special teams. Well, I'll tell you this uh, this much, Drew. He actually got a couple of reps at running back. And there was one play in particular that, you know, and, you know, this is going to, you know, allow a lot of people to realize that, that I've, you know, being, you know, aside from being the biggest uh, cheerleader of Jalen Hurts, um, you know, that I view it, you know, um, realistically. Uh, but there was one, you know, one play in particular when Emmons was was the running back behind Jalen. And, you know, they ran a zone read play, and Jalen didn't make the right read had he flipped the ball to Emmons. Now, I can't, you know, realistically say that had he flipped the ball that this would have worked out, but the potential for it was there. Um, you know, the inside linebacker bit and was sucked up inside. The defensive end crashed. All the, the classic keys that you look for, um, you know, for an option play to, to, to work really well. Um, and, and, you know, Jalen kept the ball. And, you know, it was, it was a play where, you know, he tried to float outside a little bit. Uh, you know, the defensive end that was falling down on the ground reached out and clipped his ankle and he fell. 
But had he slipped the ball to B.J. Emmons, um, I won't sit here and tell you that it would have been a touchdown, but it would have been a 30-yard explosive play. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, that they have left so many explosive plays, um, you know, out there on the field. And I think, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, Jay, we've already talked about this. You know, Jalen Hurts, you know, is holding the ball too long, number one, which I don't have a problem with. I'd rather him do that versus, you know, throw pick sixes out there. Um, but but at the same time, I, I just think that, you know, you've got this weekend coming up against Kent State. You've got a Kentucky program the week after that's in disarray. You know, Lane Kiff and Nick Saban really have two weeks, um, you know, ahead of them where they, they've got, you know, coaching points that they can hammer home. And if they get this offense clicking, which they did, you know, really about the same time last year with Jay Coker uh, and, and Derek Henry and those guys, if they get them clicking all, on all cylinders, um, I agree with Thomas. I mean, this is an offense that could easily throw up 50 points a game. What well, could, and I, what I thought was interesting on Nick Saban's coaches show, uh, as I was battling the computer gremlins, I was keeping up with that on Twitter and, of course, he's at Bob's Victory Grill tonight. He, he, uh, he, he, uh, he of course, t- talked about Marlon Humphrey's tough game, said he would bounce back, said he thought one of the pass interference calls was a bad call, and I agree with him in the second half on the sideline. Uh, but he, 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 the one interesting thing he did say is that jet sweep touchdown that was a direct snap to Calvin Ridley, that wasn't even supposed to be executed that way, but luckily it worked. <laughs> well, you know, I think, you know, what that says, Drew, is, you know, that's probably Nick being a little bit frustrated with it not being executed the proper way. But at the same time, it speaks to the level of talent. I don't know if you saw the article um, that that rivals, uh, you know, head talent evaluator Mike Farrell put out this week. And it was, you know, basically, you know, rivals, semicolon, the most talented roster in college football. Um, you know, Alabama was number one, obviously. And I think that's, you know, kind of what that, that, that play right there speaks to. Um, it wasn't supposed to be executed that way, but Calvin Ridley is just so damn good. Um, he, he took the football away from Jalen Hurts and scored a touchdown on the play. He really did. I mean, it was really a great – when you think about how it didn't really look smooth when you saw the replay, uh, but you just kind of saw how he reacted and kind of did. And now that you know that he did it on the fly, very smooth athlete, no doubt about that. And kind of to uh, to to, to uh, transition, William, we talked about it before you came on. Robert Foster, uh, we talked about why he was in the doghouse, and we broke that on Bam's radio last week. Now, before you came on, he's had another injury setback. Uh, should be out two to. Uh, I've heard as many as six weeks, but really they're 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 counting on the two weeks. Uh, he uh, he uh, tore a meniscus in his knee Tuesday in practice. Uh, was supposed to have uh, surgery this morning. Will be out a couple of weeks along with our Darius Stewart, so he won't be able to get any reps against these two opponents uh, coming up. That should be uh, a chance for Alabama to play a lot of people. So now that puts the onus on Cameron Sims, on Trevon Diggs, who should get some more time on offense, and uh, uh, Garrick Dieter, who's got to catch the football, William. Uh, the, I think he's a talent, but right now, I made the comment he wasn't, uh, the, you know, Richard Mullaney so far after the uh, game against Ole Miss, but 
uh, he's getting open, but he's just the hands have not been there thus far. Yeah, and you know, I, you know, Drew, I, I think you know the the wild speculation from my end would be, um, you know, things are happening a lot faster. Uh, you know, for him, you know, being at Alabama versus Bowling Green last year, um, you know, I, I do think that guy talking about Dater's got a chance to be a big component of this offense. Um, you know, I, I think the glaring weakness that I see out of him is he's not our Darius Stewart as a blocker. And, you know, they're going to, you know, not have our Darius for the next two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So what yeah. that does. You know, it allows, you know, Billy Napier and Lane Kiffin to kind of reshuffle that, that wide receiver group a little bit. You know, one guy that you've always already mentioned is, is Cam Sims, who does seem to be 100% healthy for the first time, uh, you know, in a long time. Um, so there's going to be some other guys to get opportunities. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, the next two weeks you're going to see Alabama, you know, self-scout. Um, they're going to view both games as a, you know, a controlled scrimmage. They're prob- you're probably going to see, um, you know, them do the same thing to Jalen Hurts they did versus Western Kentucky, maybe force them to stay in the pocket and read the whole field, uh, get some timing issues worked out with wide receivers as far as, you know, Jalen's release point on passes. Um you know, I think you saw, you know, Saturday versus Old Miss, what the young man can do when he, you know, is allowed to, uh, you know, be a run-pass option, dual-threat quarterback. Um, but, you know, the thing that that I've seen, you know, since that game Saturday on the Internet that just, you know, baffles me to no end is you've already seen, you know, the, the people that, felt like Blake Barnett was going to be the starter this year. And and what that's evolved into is, you know, they don't think that Blake Barnett was given an equal opportunity to win the job. And so now they've turned their attention to Tua. And, you know, they they sit there and they make these posts on the Internet where, oh, well, he's he's the same dual-threat quarterback that Jalen Hurts is. No, he's not. The reason he is rated or labeled a dual threat quarterback is number one, he's five foot eleven, and you can't rate somebody five foot eleven as a pro style quarterback in the recruiting business because they'll never get rated as a pro style quarterback by the NFL scouts. Number two, Tua runs a four nine forty, and that might be just good enough and shifty enough to be a dual-threat quarterback on the island of Hawaii. But it's no different than what we talked about on the show, uh, you know, back during spring practice, talking about Blake Barnett, who's a legit 4'8 guy. Uh, you know, running a 4'8 in California and a 4'9 in Hawaii might get you rated a dual-threat quarterback. But both of those things will get you killed dead to rights as a dual-threat quarterback in the SEC. So, Jalen Hurts is the only uh, – well, I shouldn't say the only. Cooper Bateman, it, you know, does have the athleticism, uh, you know, to be a dual-threat quarterback in the SEC. He's a legit 4-5 guy, which is faster than Jalen Hurts. But I think what's going to be real interesting from, 
you know, this Saturday through the mid part of January is to see where the attrition takes place at the quarterback position at Alabama because, you know, look, we all know, we all thought this a long time ago that Jalen Hurts was going to be the guy. So does Blake Barnett transfer? Uh, does David Cornwell transfer? You know, the information that I've gotten on, on Cornwell is he's more than willing to hang his cleats up at the end of the year and become a GA on Alabama staff. Um, you know, I can't speculate on what Blake Barnett's plans are because, you know, I, I really don't know. Um, you know, my own, per- my own personal opinion on Cooper Bateman, um, he's probably really not good enough to go somewhere else and be the starter. So, you know, he's going to come back and, you know, be, you know, kind of chippy about holding the clipboard and, you know, being one of the backups next year for, for Jalen Hurts and, and maybe Tua. Um, you know, if Cornwell decides to hang it up, he'll still be a part of the program. So if you if you go down the list of the quarterbacks, you know, in my mind, really the only one that's in danger of transferring out of the program is Blake Barnett. No question, and uh, I feel like that's probably what will happen, and he deserves an opportunity somewhere. It's just as I told somebody uh, this week, I think it was, I was in the middle of that thought when uh, everything went haywire with my connection, but uh, I really with Blake, uh, he, I, th- I still think he's a very fine player. It's just Alabama recruited a better player, uh, and Jalen Hurts is special. He's transcendent. Uh, he's uh, added a new dimension to this offense, and he's been someone that has shown uncommon maturity, and that's why he's done something that has never happened to Nick Saban, uh, become the quarterback uh, as a freshman. And I thought it was uh, very entertaining on Monday. Uh, of course, uh, when uh, I, Alex Mines, and he's a great guy, but from the Decatur Daily and Florence Times Daily, asked Nick Saban, well, are you ready to name Jalen Hurts the starter? And basically in – in, uh, with a, in a roundabout way, Nick Saban was just like, "I'm going to let you guys figure that out." I mean, he's <laughs> he's he's the uh, he's the guy. He went wall, wire to wire the last two games uh, and did a heck of a job. And uh, and and uh, and again, and let me uh, correct something. I did say he had a touchdown pass against Ole Miss. He did not officially, though some may have called. Uh, you know, th- there could have been an interpretation maybe uh, on that play with Jalen Hurst, but really it was, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Calvin really, but it was a direct snap. He should have had a touchdown pass to Hell Hinches, but still to not turn the ball over in that environment against Ole Miss and to bring them back from a 24 to three deficit, I really thought, uh, and we've already talked about it, but it's just a, it was really a, uh, an unforgettable moment. Uh, you've seen quarterbacks take a shot like he took William. That was a huge shot he took. And he got right back up, didn't lay on the ground, didn't act like he was hurt at all or shaken. And I think he really showed everybody a lot, and especially his teammates, by driving the team right down the field three plays and 50 yards and scoring and then setting up Eddie Jackson for that touchdown. Well, Drew, I really have no idea what you're talking about. As a former Alabama offensive lineman, uh, I, I can only say when I was blocking for the Alabama quarterbacks, nobody ever got hit like that. Uh, but no, to, to your point, um, that that to me was a, a program changing moment because I'll be honest with you, after going back and watching the replay at least three times, I think Jalen was half ass out of his mind after he got hit. Um, 
you know, and, and you know, I, I I do remember seeing the play where I think he injured his wrist, and I, you know, Nick Saban has touched on that, um, and and you know, even though I thought the play calling was discombobulated in the first half, you know, I get what Nick Saban's trying to say that there is some, you know, method to the madness there with with Kiffin and, and what he was doing. Um, you know, me personally, I wish there was more north-south plays versus east and west plays, uh, you know, in the first half. But I get what they were trying to do, which was wear that, you know, that talented old Miss front seven out. Um, but, you know, I think what really strikes me, Drew, about this, this 2016 team offensively through three games is where all the playmakers are. And it's in the back end, you know, with a true freshman quarterback. Uh, the starter at running back is a true sophomore. Um, I do think Joshua Jacobs is probably as talented as Damian Harris, uh, at least the, the second most talented running back back there. Um, you know, you've got Calvin Ridley coming back next year. Um I hate to sound like a uh, Debbie Downer, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited that Arcarius Stewart got injured a little bit uh, from a selfish standpoint that that might entail him coming back for his senior year at Alabama next year because, you know, I, 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 I'm always guilty of hitting the fast-forward button and looking to next year. And when I look at it um, – you know, obviously you got Lamar Jackson up there at LSU. I mean, at, at Louisville. Um, you know, you've got the stuff that's going on out at Houston. But you know, I, I just think that you know this time next year with a a one year seasoning of, of uh, you know Jalen Hurts, and you know I think it's time for you know Alabama fans to understand that Lane Kiffin's not going to be a part of the equation next year as the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, go back and look at what Steve Sarkeesian did um, when he was the head coach of the Washington Huskies with Jake Locker and, and the Prince quarterback that he had up there. You know, he's got a lot more experience of designing an offense around dual-threat quarterbacks than Lane Kiffin does. Even Lane Kiffin is on the record as saying, you know, hey, this is the first time I've ever had a dual threat quarterback. All, all the other guys that I've ever constructed an offense around, you know, were, were AJ McCarron type quarterbacks. So I, I really think there's some, you know, stuff in play. And, and you know, again, I don't want people to think that you know, hey, I've given up on this season. I haven't given up on anything. I'm just kind of looking off into the, the future. And when you when you factor in that, you know, they're going to lose Cam Robinson, Alphonse Taylor, and O.J. Howard, and that's it. They've got eight of 11 starters coming back next year with, you know, an elite group of running backs, an elite group of wide receivers, and, you know, the best true freshman quarterback in college football right now. Good Lord, I can't even imagine what they could do next year. Exactly, and I've always sort of felt that Sark was brought in for a reason. Uh, that he would succeed Lane Kiffin makes a lot of sense. He's much like Tosh Lupoy, who spent a year as an intern. He can learn the players. 
uh, get comfortable with what uh, they want to do schematically, get comfortable with Jalen Hurts, and uh, take over the play calling, and, and once again rehab himself uh, like Lane Kiffin has. Lane Kiffin uh, may very well get a shot uh, with his own program after this year. We will see, uh, but I agree with you. I think Lane Kiffin, is, uh, this will probably finally be it. He will he will serve out his contract at Alabama. Uh, he's done a heck of a job, uh, even though I don't. I think he would freely admit, I don't know what it is about Ole Miss, but he's, uh, it hasn't been his uh, best efforts on tape the last uh, two years against them. But at least this time, they were able to complete the comeback and get the win. And you just want to see how they grow in the next two weeks before going to Fayetteville, Arkansas. And if Arkansas can pull off the win in Dallas against uh, A&M, it could set up a battle of unbeatens in the biggest game in Arkansas in a long, long time. Yeah, and, you know, that's something that I'm going to be really interested in seeing Saturday, Drew, is, you know, there, there's two games that I'm really clued in on. Well, there's three. I, you know, I love the game that Alabama has this Saturday versus Kent State because, you know, somewhere soon after the, the halftime, you're going to get to see all the young guys play that you don't normally get to see. And, you know, you get to see the next wave of talent uh, so to speak, you know, factor in on both sides of the ball for Alabama. But, you know, that, that LSU-Auburn game and, and, you know, the Arkansas A&M game, I think has huge implications, you know, not just on how the SEC West is going to shake out, but, you know, that, that Auburn-LSU game, to me, uh, reads like what I like to call a loser-leave-town match, so to speak, uh, you know, between Les Miles and Gus Malzahn. And I think that, you know, that, that A&M-Arkansas game will, will give us a lot of insight into, you know, once Alabama gets through this, you know, Kent State-Kentucky vacation for the next two weeks, you know, that's really going to be the first smash-mouth, you know, program that Alabama has faced this year. And, you know, let's be honest, I know a lot of people are pointing out that, you know, the, the, you know, that Allen's gone as the quarterback, Alex Collins has gone as the tailback, and, and Hunter Henry is gone as, as their go-to, you know, wide receiver, even though he was the tight end. But, you know, really where Alabama has struggled against Arkansas was on the other side of the ball on offense. Um, you know, their defensive coordinator has, has really stymied Alabama for the last two years. And then on the other side of the ball, from Arkansas, you know, you've got an A&M team that's got a quarterback, um, you know, that showed two years ago that, that he was dynamic enough to, you know, give Alabama fits when he was the quarterback at Oklahoma. I'm talking about Trevor Knight. He's got a lot better of wide receivers to work with, uh, you know, and Christian Kirk and, and uh, you know, all those guys at A&M. Um, I've always felt like going back to the summer, I know a lot of people had, you know, that, that Tennessee game circled on their schedule as, as the coming-to-Jesus moment for this Alabama football team. But I've never been sold on Joshua Dobbs, uh, you know, being a guy that could throw the ball down the field with authority because Tennessee, with all the good recruiting classes, they don't have game changers at the wide receiver position. And their offensive line is a debacle once again. I've always felt like, because that A&M game was after that Tennessee trip to Knoxville, you know, the week before the off week, before they go to LSU, 
that's the one that's always kind of concerned me. You know, A, because of where it falls on the schedule, B, uh, because of the style of offense that Kevin Sumlin and Trevor Knight are going to bring to the table. And, you know, I think we saw a little bit of that, you know, come to the surface against Ole Miss. Um, you know, if Trevor Knight has his Stephen Garcia moment, they've got those wide receivers, they could do to that Alabama defense, um, in my opinion, what, you know, Chad Kelly and, and Evan Ingram did. Um, they've got that kind of capability. Now, they haven't shown it so far through this, you know, the first three weeks of the season, but that capability is there. But to me, that's the biggest threat to this team the 2016 Alabama team is that A&M team. It's not Tennessee. You said it's not Tennessee, and I tend to agree with that, uh, with what we've seen on the field. Uh, I, I have no, you know, uh, they have not played well. I still think Florida is going to take them out. I would have guaranteed it if Del Rio hadn't gotten hurt. But uh, this Appleby kid has double-digit starts at Purdue. I, I feel like Coach McElwain is a quarterback whisperer. I think he'll put together a good enough plan. They've got three or four solid running backs, maybe not a superstar. Uh, but I just think this defense, you know, both you, you and I both love Jeff Collins, uh, what he's done both at Mississippi State and Florida, and their front seven is so good. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, but if Florida can protect the ball and, and, and uh, avoid turnovers, I think they can find a way to win 20-17 uh, to 17 in Knoxville and uh, bring it to 12. I still like Florida in the East. You know, I don't even know if it'll get to that high scoring of a ball game, Drew. What, what this thing is kind of shaping up to me, to look yeah. like, unfortunately, I was I was a part of the uh, apathetic, uh, anemic Alabama offense, you know, in the '90s, um, you know, with that great Bill Oliver defense. You know, what, what I see is maybe more so of like a 13 to nine game, especially if Florida's dynamic, you know, kick and punt returner Callaway is available. Um, you know. Tennessee has not shown, you know, if if their offensive line isn't good enough for, you know, Jalen Hurd to run wild on Appalachian State and the Ohio Bobcats, uh, they ain't going to run wild on Jeff, Jeff Collins' crew on Saturday. So, you know, even with Del Rio being out, and I know that will affect, um, you know, their offense to a certain standpoint because they've got issues on their offensive line and, they don't have a lot of, of dynamic playmakers at the wide receiver and running back spot. Um, I just, you know, you know, if I was a betting man, um, I don't know what the over-under is, but I would take the under and I would put my money on Florida in that game. I would as well, William. I just – I trust coaches. And I think Coach McElwain is a better head coach, has a better staff uh, than uh, Butch Jones. And Butch Jones is a clown show. In my opinion, he he's playing up some Wall Street Journal article about how he's rebuilt Tennessee's program in three and a half years, blah, 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 blah. To me, it's all hype and no substance with Butch Jones. Uh, he reminds me of Mike Shula II. Uh, they're never going to win uh, big uh, in the SEC. I mean, I affectionately call him Sergeant Carter, and I just really – I don't, you know – I just I, he has a pretty good defensive coordinator in Bob Shoup. DeBoard I don't think is that good in OC. Uh, I haven't seen Joshua Dobbs make the necessary progress needed to be made. They have a talented tailback tandem in Jalen Hurd and Alvin Kamara. Uh, but I really think now that Co- and the biggest thing is nobody's really talked about this. But this year Coach Mack has a kicker, 
uh, Eddie Pinheiro, Alabama fans know well. Uh, now that he has a kicker, I think that's really going to help them make decisions uh, And uh, as far as in a close ball game. And I just think they're going to find a way to win this thing. And we'll see. I mean, it's, this is a big, the biggest game of Butch Jones' career, uh, especially with who they have to play after that in a row. I mean, uh, the, the Tennessee Vols have to go to Athens, Georgia the week after. Uh, then they have to play Texas A&M uh, in, in College Station before playing the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Tennessee. And a lot of people thought uh, that this was going to be the year they ended the streak against Alabama. I don't think so. I think it's going to be a lot of excuse-making again. And then, boy, that number two, he sure is good. And he's got three more years left. So I can already kind of hear it from the ball fans, but we'll see how that all works out. But, William, we always appreciate your time here on BAMS Radio. Thank you for joining us even through all this madness and the uh, some gremlins going on with Thomas and I. But it's been a great conversation, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you next week after hopefully the a lot of young players have got a chance to showcase their abilities Saturday morning. Well, you know, the good thing is, Drew, is uh, I think the uh... – the Blake Barnett lovers are going to finally get their wish Saturday. They're going to see Blake Barnett play quarterback for Alabama for a couple of quarters. Yeah, they really are. And then uh, for the rest of the Alabama nation who love Dabo Sweeney, uh, extra point good, Clemson 23 to nothing near the end of the first half against Georgia Tech. So they're kind of exercising some demons, have not won in Atlanta in their last five attempts, but looks like that is going to change today as the uh, Clemson, Clemson has not played great in this game, but still up 23 nothing. So Dabo is trying to set up another uh, world war next week with uh, Lamar Jackson and Louisville uh, in Death Valley. But William, we always appreciate it, sir. You're right. We're going to get to see a lot of the guys, including Blake Barnett, play quite a bit, hopefully a full half next this coming Saturday against the rebuilding Kent State Golden Flashes, the alma mater of one Nick Saban. Uh, but we'll talk about that with you next Thursday. Thank you, sir, and uh, have a good rest of your evening. Hey, just remember, you heard it here first. Joshua Jacobs will run for a lot of yards Saturday. Yeah, I bet he has. I, I would take that bet. I bet he's going to get his first 100-yard game and do hope so. He had a, the longest run from scrimmage for Alabama uh, uh, besides that one Damian Harris uh, uh, jaunt that was 67 yards, he also had a 25-yard run of his own in the first half uh, against that should kind of showcase his ability against the well, old Miss hey, Rebels. Hey, Drew, I, I just wanted to let you know because I'm a professional troll and I knew that any, any if anybody was going to bite on me saying that Joshua Jacobs was going to rack up a lot of yards Saturday against Kent State, you of all people would have bid on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, I will. Hey, everybody knows what I think of Joshua Jacobs, uh, my friend. That's and, exactly, uh, and guess what? You were exactly right. That kid is a badass. He's going to be a great player, I think. Well, William, we appreciate it, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Uh, that's William Redfish Barger and Thomas, a, a, a very entertaining and a stressing, stressful, and uh, and uh, but a, a nice first hour of BAMS Radio. We want to apologize to the listeners, but a lot of what happens is out of our control, and it's all about yeah. the Internet. I I I made the comment in our chat in our uh, our chat for a few of our listeners that uh, this show just stresses me out. I, I have no idea what happened, <laughs> and it's very Neither. rare when it comes to technical. I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> it just well, l- l- luckily my cursing my cursing this time I had it on mute, but I was like, <laughs> "What's going on, man? Is is, is my Skype slash internet connection horrible?" And I checked everything, and I was like, "It's not me, man. I don't know what happened." So I was finally able to reconnect. 
And then you told me your, what happened with your on your end, and I was like, well, I just there you go. The yeah. ability. Thank God for Redfish being able to hang with us, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, he didn't even notice, man. I mean, he just sort of kept rolling, hello, and he just kept rolling. So I thought, well, we'll edit that out. But the live is very interesting. But uh, the uh, the condensed version will, will sound better. But, hey, we, we got it done. And as I said, it's uh, now 23 to nothing at halftime. Clemson over the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, who are getting the shellacked. This, this uh, Clemson defense is locked in, playing the option very well. And Deshaun Watson, despite a miscommunication and an interception near the end zone, I think still uh, unbelievably Georgia Tech ran into their players ran into each other, fumbled it into the end zone, and it ended up being a safety for Clemson. Clemson gets the ball back and does score a touchdown right before the half, 23 to nothing. So they're rolling, and the, that updates uh, college football for tonight. But, uh, Thomas, I know we're going to get ready to take our five-minute break or so here, and when we come back, we're going to be joined – uh, gives you a chance to work. Rodney Orr of TiterInsider.com, who's going to join us on the Sunbelt Tens hotline. Absolutely. Here we go. We'll be right back on BAMS Radio. Rolling down a backwoods, Tennessee byway. One arm on the wheel. Holding my lover with the other, a sweet, soft, southern thrill. Worked hard all week, got a little jingle on a Tennessee Saturday night. Couldn't feel better, I'm together with my Dixieland tonight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler, need the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving, a little turn of oven on a Mason Dixon night. It's my life, oh, so right. My Munching on clover, red-tailed hawk, sitting on a limb. Chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog. Free as a feeling in the wind. Homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl. On a Tennessee Saturday night. Lucky as a seven. Living in heaven with my Dixieland delight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler, meet the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving, a little turtle dove in on a Mason Dixon night. This is my life. My Dixie Land 
And we are back for more BAMS Radio on a Thursday night. Dixieland Delight might be banned in Bryant-Denny Stadium, but it's not banned here. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We have a uh, solid setup for the second hour. And with any luck, you know, fingers and toes crossed, technical issues that have plagued the show through the first half of the show have been solved. And we'll have a smooth sailing when we welcome Rodney Orr, founder of Tider Insider, for the uh, first little chunk of the hour. And then we'll be joined by John Garcia, John Garcia of Scout.com. He's going to break down recruiting and uh, just give us his take on what he saw, you know, both in the recruiting world and on the field this past Saturday. Looks to be a pretty solid outing. Going to be a lot of fun when it uh, coalesces. We're waiting for Drew to get back. Our five-minute break, I yeah, – we, we, we Sorry, come back. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling. No, no, it's fine. I was just saying, I, I like to give you the full five minutes. Unfortunately, Dixieland Delight is only three minutes and 50 seconds, so I had to riff just a little bit. But, uh, no, yeah, great no first problem. hour, no even even with the technical issues, and I was just saying who we've got for the second hour as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna get, You're going to get Rodney Orr on the Sunbelt 10s hotline here in just a second. Uh, he's uh, getting. He's ready to go, and ready to give us his take on the Crimson Tide following that big win. And then we'll talk some recruiting. It never stops with uh, John Garcia, uh, 365 days a year, the way this uh, Alabama team has continued to build as they were talking about. It's really uh, seven straight years, I think. Alabama, in, 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 during, according to some service, has signed the number one ranked recruiting class. Many of those years it's been unanimous. And you see the talent-laden roster Alabama's been able to put together, uh, what they've been able to do to continue to be relevant uh, in the uh, national scene. And, and really, since 2008, uh, be uh, right there uh, in the mix and in the conversation for the college football playoff. Long way to go here, only three weeks in, into 2016. But Alabama, number one in the country, 3-0, and got past a huge hurdle. Uh, with the Ole Miss Rebels, uh, you know, as Richard Cross said on our show last week, he thought that uh, Ole Miss might be in Nick Saban's head, and it sure looked like it for most of the first half, 24-3 to deficit. But much like uh, Coach Saban's team did uh, against Auburn and Gus Malzahn, and now we see where Gus Malzahn is on the precipice of being the, uh, the, the fourth coach processed uh, during uh, the Nick Saban era, or, or I guess I should say the third, but – he would be, Auburn would be on their fourth head coach during his uh, decade in Tuscaloosa. Uh, then, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Nick Saban kind of exercised some demons, even though Hugh Freeze, uh, they, you know, they, he has his detractors, and I certainly don't think Ole Miss does things on the up and up in their recruiting aspect of their program. But as a, a coach and an offensive mind, he's very good, and he's put together a great system at Ole Miss and recruited a great quarterback in Chad Kelly, who certainly – uh, played very, very well against the Crimson Tide, only for 421 yards and the three touchdowns last week, just playing very good football. And Alabama did finally force him into a couple of mistakes. But now we are going to go to the Sunbelt 10s hotline. Uh, he, he joins us uh, uh, quite a bit on this show and on my regular radio program, Talking Ball. And uh, always great to catch up with someone I have great respect for, and I enjoy com- contributing to his website 
since 1996. Tider Insider.com, the founder and owner, and that is Rodney Orr. Rodney, uh, good night. How are you? Well, how are you, Drew? I'm doing well. Doing pretty well, Rodney, and I think uh, Alabama fans are doing pretty well, too, after that 48-43 win, and uh, they're hoping for the next two weeks for Alabama to be able to work out some kinks, and Nick Saban basically said as much on his radio show tonight uh, that it's about getting better the next couple of weeks, and uh, there's there they you know there are a couple people banged up and our Darius Stewart and Robert Foster and the, the wide receiver group but still for the most part a healthy team and hopefully especially this coming Saturday you're going to get a chance to see a lot of these guys get some much needed uh, playing time and and I was going to ask you uh, some of these freshmen we haven't seen yet uh, along with like a Raquan Davis we haven't seen a lot of Quinn and Williams uh, do you think we're going to see some of these guys this week or if we don't, is that going to lead to maybe redshirting some of them? Well, you know, I, I think uh, possibly you will. I think it's all determined by the situation in the game. And uh, if things work out well, I think certainly there's a great opportunity that a lot of guys could see the field. You mentioned some of them. Raekwon Davis, of course, has already played some. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think the circumstances of the game will dictate that. And, you know, hopefully Alabama will be in position that they can play a lot of those guys that you mentioned. Absolutely. And and you're right, Raekwon Davis has played a little bit. Uh, so has Quinnen Williams, I believe, in week one. We'll see if they play more uh, because sometimes guys can play a handful of snaps and still redshirt uh, during right. a freshman year. We will see. Uh, but and uh, but I'm, we already talked about it with William Barger in hour number one, Rodney. Really anxious to see these young backs. I was really excited by what Joshua Jacobs did uh, against Ole Miss, the 25-yard run, and I thought he did some other good things in the game. And uh, we see, we've seen Damian Harris, I think, now take control as the number one back. Uh, Bo Scarborough had the fumble issue uh, at the end of the game, but B.J. Emmons did play a couple snaps, but not a lot. Really uh, uh, looking forward to seeing maybe what those two guys can do on Saturday. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think one thing, too, as you talk about the running backs, is just start with Damian Harris. He, he really seems to be maturing and developing, doing an outstanding job. You know, last year's a true freshman. Some people kind of question him. But let's be honest, and we've talked about this before, Drew, you and I. You know, when you're thrown into games late, when it's a mop-up type situation and the defenses know what you're going to do, you're basically going to run right into the teeth of, of the defensive front, it kind of makes it difficult. And I think that's part of what, you know, Damien had last year or experienced. And then, you know, certainly he did have a lot of growing up to do and developing. He played at a very small school in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, the talent's been there. It's just been a matter of him learning what it takes to play on this level. And it's really, I think, uh, inc very encouraging how far he's come over the last year. And thought he made some obviously big runs against uh, – you know, Ole Miss Saturday had uh, the, the the long run. We know about that. But, you know, late in the game when Alabama needed to possess the ball and, and run it and pick up some first downs and get the game over with, you know, I thought Damian Harris came up really, really big. He had a couple of really nice runs. He had a third down run on a, you know, one-yard situation where he made sure he got the first down and did a good job there. So I think he's learning. He's obviously – uh, learning a lot about becoming that all-around running back and really excited about that. Uh, as far as Bo Scarborough goes, you know, 
think a lot of people are focusing on that late fumble, and certainly that's something that, you know, when you're trying to ice a game, you've got to be able to trust your running back, whoever it is in the game. You've got to be able to trust that guy to hold on the ball. And, again, I know he took a shot on the ball, but, but, but ball security is first and foremost priority right there, more than gaining a yard. It's, it's protecting the football, and that could have been a devastating uh, turnover right there. So I think Bo, uh, with that aside – uh, you know, you can see the tools that he has. He had a couple of really good runs. I think two of them were called back on holdings. One was on O.J. Howard. One was on Shank Taylor. But, you know, you look at Bo and you say, man, this guy here, he's got all the raw skills to be an outstanding player. You know, he just has to hone it all together and, uh, you know, get into a situation, develop uh, into the type of running back who you can really trust. And then I like the two young guys, too. I thought Joshua Jacobs showed some nice uh, – of his runs, I think he had back-to-back runs totaling about 33 yards, and I really like what you, what I saw of him. And I know that they're really extremely high on B.J. Emmons as well. So, you know, these are four guys that it's going to be interesting to watch how they continue to use those guys. It really is, Rodney. I, I I'm excited to see that. And and I, another underrated aspect, we really didn't get a chance to talk about it with William Barger. Uh, but we did talk about several of the things we liked, mostly Jalen Hurts because just how remarkable we thought his performance was. But another kind of underrated deal, We Hale Hinches had you know, a, a, a missed assignment uh, where he was trying to block for his teammate, Ardarius Stewart. They really had a collision. It knocked Ardarius out of the game. You know, Hale was kind of struggling in the game a little bit. I thought Miller Forrestal came off the bench, blocked well, and did some really good things. Yeah, and I like Hale Hinches a lot, man. He is a fantastic oh, yeah. young guy, and he's a good player too. Uh, you know, uh, I know he, he did have a couple of hiccups there in the game, but, um, you know, he's going to be a really good player. And, and Miller Forstall, you're right, though, Drew. And he came in the game, and he made a key block. If you go back and watch the video of it, he had a key block on that drive with about, what, 9.36 left in the game or something, I think it was, when uh, uh, Jalen Hurts broke the 41-yard run. He came across in motion and, and – wiped out the guy and allowed Jalen Hurts to, to kind of cut behind him. So, yeah, that was very encouraging to see. I really like Miller Forstall showing his blocking skills. You know, he was a top receiver in, in the, throughout last spring as an early enrollee uh, and even led A-Day in terms of number of catches, I think. So uh, I think Miller Forstall is just another one of those guys, part of this fantastic freshman class. He really is, Rodney, and – I'm excited to continue to see these guys develop. And Jonah Williams, he had the bust uh, on the slide protection that got Jalen Hurts uh, uh, sacked, and then they had that fumble and the touchdown. But still, for a, he had two straight Coach of the Week awards the first two weeks. And I thought for his first road start, he also had a false start. But considering all that, uh, he's played really well at right tackle. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think uh, what he had to uh, SEC Freshman of the Week, I think maybe earlier, uh, it, may, it might have been against USC. I can't remember, but I know he's been awarded for some things, and you know his performances already. And you know I think this guy is going to be a great player. He's already on his way to that. You know, just as a true freshman starting from day one, that's uh, you know that's pretty. Uh, you know, the only other guy that I can remember doing that in the Saban era as an offensive tackle is is Cam Robinson. 
you know, starting from day one as a true freshman, I may be missing somebody. But, uh, you know, I just I think it just points out the talent level this guy has. He can play right tackle. He can play left tackle. He can play on the interior if he needed to. So, uh, you know, I just think that, again, you know, he's another one of those guys kind of amazing when you look at it. You've got a true freshman at right tackle. You have a true freshman starting quarterback, you know, and then you have these young running backs. So it's really amazing, I think, uh, when you look at Alabama's offense and the potential that they have. You know, they've put up some points, but at the same time, I think potentially when they all start kind of gelling together, this has a chance to be a really good good uh, offense. It really does. And, and then uh, on the defensive side of the ball, we saw some young players that had to play Rodney. Uh, there was a lot of attrition in this game, some cramping, yep. Reuben Foster missing uh, the last part of the, of the football game, having to go back and get an IV. Uh, he was put on the cart. And then we saw uh, Eddie Jackson uh, uh, get kicked in the shin or have a, little, a, shy, a slight shin injury, uh, which made him miss uh, the game. And also, Minka Fitzpatrick gets kicked in the head, which we saw Shy Carter play a lot more reps uh, on defense than what we would have thought. But he responded with five tackles and I thought was in very good position in coverage. Man, he really was in great position on a couple of those plays. Just shows you. You know, what a throw Kelly made down the sideline when, uh, you know, Shy was right there, had his hand up and everything, had his head turned. I mean, it just seemed like he did everything right. You know, it was one of those games kind of like Deshaun Watson got hot in the national championship game and some of the other games that we've seen before where guys like Johnny Manziel delivering throws, I mean, just dropping dimes, as they say. I mean, you know, you couldn't have placed the ball any better. And, I mean, I don't know how you defend some of those. I mean, it's just difficult. And it seems like to me, Drew, sometimes Alabama brings out the best in some of these guys that are really outstanding players. I mean, when you talk about Chad Kelly, you talk about Deshaun Watson, Johnny Manziel, obviously they're all great college players. But, I mean, they even elevate their game, it seems like, against Alabama sometimes. And I, I really like Shai Carter. I think he's got a ton of potential. He's going to be a really, really good player. And obviously they had to bring Deontay Thompson in at safety, the redshirt freshman from Texas. And, uh, you know, he had to play quite a bit in the fourth quarter with uh, Eddie out. And, and also, you know, when, when Ruben went down there, you take, you're losing your, your front signal caller and Ruben Foster. You lost the guy in the back end. Eddie Jackson, who sets everything up. So you're really kind of in a tough situation there playing guys without much experience, uh, you know, in the secondary with Carter and, and, and Thompson. And then you bring Rashawn Evans in, who I thought played really, really well at times, in the, you know, in his relief there of, of Ruben. So, um, you know, the, it did put Alabama behind the eight ball a little bit, though. And I think, too, as that game went on, the depth on the defensive line showed a little bit, I think, even though they played some of the, you know, backup-type guys, uh, Josh Frazier, Dakota Ball, et cetera. But the, the problem was, Drew, too, was, you know, I thought the front-line guys at, at, towards the end were getting a little bit gassed, and I think that certainly hurt. It really did, and uh... – I, I, especially, uh, as you said, along the defensive line, it's going to be interesting to see how much Jamar King plays in the next, uh, and OJ Smith, some people like that, uh, in, in the next, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. You think they would get some time, Joshua Frazier? They're going to need uh, to play some more defensive linemen, uh, but and then of course they want to avoid injury. Uh, they, and they, for the most part, guys got a little banged up, but the only two severe are Darius Stewart and then uh, Robert Foster is going to miss some time as well. Uh, but, Rodney, uh, just your thoughts 
uh, on this uh, defense. Reuben Foster, I know he went out in the game, but before uh, he, the cramps uh, got the best of him, he had 12 tackles, including just a huge hit on the sidelines against Chad Kelly. To me, over the last two years, we knew how good Reuben had a chance to be coming out of high school when he was at Troop County in LaGrange and then spent his senior year at Auburn High School in Alabama. But he's finally become that superstar defender everybody envisioned when he was a young youngster in the state of Georgia, I think. Yeah, I think Reuben is a poster boy. Um, I mean, when I say that, you know, he came in a highly acclaimed, uh, you know, a five-star guy. And I think that sometimes when that happens, a lot of these kids expect instant success. Some of them get disgruntled. You know, the amazing thing about him is he, he always uh, – you, you never heard anything about Reuben Foster in terms of, uh, you know, whining, pouting, whatever it might have been. You know, he was a guy that realized from the very beginning he had a lot to learn. He played behind uh, C.J. Mosley, didn't he, that first year. And then uh, I think he had, he realized that he had a lot to learn to become the kind of player that he wanted to be. And and the thing is, it's just how hard he worked to be become that guy. You know, he had difficulties tackling at first because of his technique. You know, he had the injuries, and he had to learn basically how to keep his head in the right position so he could continue to play. And, uh, you know, he did that, and he overcame a lot, and he really stuck his nose in the playbook and – you know, took the time to learn, and I think that's one thing that uh, you know is really impressive about what he's done. And again, I think it's a, you know, it's kind of a blueprint for a lot of guys coming in that highly recruited type players or whatever, any player that you know. Here's what you have to do. Sometimes it really doesn't matter what kind of accolades you had in high school. Here's what you have to do to learn. To, I think Reuben Foster is the blueprint of that, and I'm you know really happy for him. And like you said, Drew, he's come light years in the last two years, just light years from where he was. You remember, was it uh, 2014, I think he started that game, uh, the opener against uh, West West Virginia, Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. And he was kind of lost at times. Just how far he's come since then, it's it's just amazing. It's a great testament to Nick Saban. And and I think Rashawn Evans is on the same path. He's still learning now that they've uh, moved him to inside linebacker. But as you said – he did some very good things having to move to Will as Sean Dion Hamilton took over the Mike position with Reuben Foster sidelined. Yeah, I, you know, again, I, I think Sean's going to continue to play play a role this year. He's he's going to be really a, a player that I think is going to, as the season goes along, going to be a big contributor. He's got great speed. He's got great intensity, a lot of desire. Uh, you know, he had a big hit of his own. I think he knocked Kelly out pretty good one time, uh, you know, one play. So, I really like him. I like the speed that he brings. Sean Dion Hamilton does not get nearly the credit, in my opinion, that he deserves. Made a great play down on the goal line when Kelly tried to fool everybody. Uh, if you remember, it was on that goal line stand there when I think they had a couple of reviews that uh, were overturned in Alabama's favor. And uh, he made a great play on Kelly on one of those where he kind of trapped him in the backfield. I just really like Sean Dion Hamilton. He's a guy that's a winner. He's where he's supposed to be all the time. He's very smart, and I think he's a guy that's a leader, you know, for this defense. And, uh, you know, all of those guys we just mentioned certainly very important. They really are important, Rodney. And and now we're going to kind of look ahead because I felt like you had an excellent, excellent article uh, this week on TiderInsider.com 
one of the big uh, things that we're going to see is uh, John Allen has become what many people believe is a top five draft pick, a cup coming in the NFL draft as a senior. He's off to a monster start, had the fumble recovery and uh, and uh, and then uh, re- returned for a long touchdown, 70-plus yards to basically ice the football game, the winning score for the Crimson Tide. Dalvin Tomlinson's also a senior. He will be moving on uh, to the NFL as well. Uh, but Alabama's going to need some defensive linemen, as you said. Right now, not as much, nearly as much depth as last year. It looks like they're really scouring the junior college route uh, hard to try to maybe sign one, perhaps even two prospects. And I know you updated everyone on that, and I wanted you to kind of, uh, if our, for our listeners that may not have seen that on TiderInsider.com, talk about uh, these four junior college targets you kind of detailed. Well, you know, I think it's of extreme importance that they sign. You know, I, I hope they sign as many as they can get. To be honest with you, I don't. I don't know what they're limited to four or five. But you know, if I were them, I would sign five, a minimum of five if I could get five really good ones because they're going to need them. Uh, and uh, I, you know, those two, the JUCOs, we 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 listed five, four guys that, and there are more that they're looking at, by the way. But you know, four that they're really have made an early impression. Obviously, Isaiah Bugs out of Mississippi Gulf Coast, a guy that's been on the, the radar for a long time. And, you know, people thought that he would eventually end up at, at LSU, and he might. But, you know, Alabama's really gotten back in the mix here over the last two or three weeks or so, maybe the last month. You know, Bugs with, with Bugs, I think they've, you know, they're back in the game, so to speak, and that's what's important right now. They could really use somebody like him. He could come in with an opportunity to really make an impact right away. But, you know, the guy that's really been a beast as this uh, junior college season has gotten underway has been Javon Kenlaw, uh, out of uh, He's out of Jones uh, Community College in Ellisville, Mississippi. He's got originally out of Goose Creek, South Carolina, was going headed to South Carolina but did not have – the academics to uh, to enter as a freshman, so he, he came to uh, Jones and he's really doing a fantastic job. He's a guy that's about six six, about three twenty, three twenty five or so, Drew, and you know he's had a like I said, he's been a a force in the first three games or so on the junior college level for you know his sophomore year. And you look at him, and I think he's a guy that Alabama would really like to have. I could see them possibly. You never know how it's going to unfold. But I could see them possibly taking two, and I think that Ken Law and, and Bugs would be the two that, uh, you know, I, I think anybody would take both of those guys. So uh, I'd keep an eye on them. Now, uh, you know, with Ken Law, a lot of people think he may end up back at South Carolina, but we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. Uh, then Chauncey Rivers is a guy that formerly played at Georgia, uh, was was there, recruited by Jeremy Pruitt when he was their defensive coordinator. He's out of Stone Mountain Stevenson High School there in Georgia. And you know, he's a guy now that's at East Mississippi. And if you remember a few years ago, Alabama signed uh, Jaron Reed and re-signed D.J. Petway, who had left Alabama, went over to East Mississippi. They signed those two guys off the East Mississippi National Championship team. And, and now you've got Chauncey Rivers, and you've got another guy there by the name of Camonte Carter, who originally signed out of Gaithersburg, Maryland, with Penn State. He spent a year or so there, uh, left that program, and is now at, at East Mississippi. So you've got Camonte Carter as well as Chauncey Rivers that – uh, both two defensive linemen. Rivers is probably 6'2", 275 or so, you know, more in the D.J. Petway mold, I guess you could say, in terms of size. 
And then um, Camonte Carter's a little bit bigger. He's probably 6'4", 305, 310 guy, an interior player. So um, those are the four guys right now I would kind of keep my eye on, Drew. But, again, more junior college players could emerge at the defensive line spots. And, of course, what the uh, trend has been in the last few seasons, Rodney, and I know they took a look last year and then decided not to bring them in, but I'm sure they'll scour the fifth-year transfer market as well. (laughs) Good point. That's a great point. I I keep forgetting that. I was thinking about that yesterday. You know, there could be a couple of defensive linemen that are are grad transfer type guys that, you know, decide they want to – would like to play at Alabama because of the opportunity. And uh, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. And, um, you know, there was one actually that uh, was at Utah last year that ended up going to USC that almost came to Alabama, a nose guard mm-hmm. type guy. And so, you know, maybe one or two really good ones emerge that uh, could join the, the, the program this year. That would be a big coup if, if they could find the right guys. Yeah, because they'd be instant impact, and that's what they're going to want along the defensive line. You're right, Rodney, uh, no doubt about that. But I guess to close the segment with you, uh, what uh, we uh, we talked about a lot of the young players getting to play. What are you hoping to see Saturday uh, from this Tide team to, to continue to take steps forward against really an overmatched opponent, uh, Nick Saban's alma mater, Kent State? Well, I, I think if they're an overmatched opponent, then they are. But if they are, you have to make them. You have to make. You have to play like it. I mean, I think you, like Coach Saban says, you have to play up to the standard, no matter who you're you're facing. I think that's really what what you want to see because, you know, against Western Kentucky in that sandwich game after USC and before Ole Miss, you know, Alabama didn't prepare very well. I mean, they tried, but I just don't think it. They had great practices that week. That was what. That was the buzz. You know, and Coach Saban seemed a little bit more, uh, well, you know, a little bit more impressed with the work they had this week in a positive way, and so that's really good. And I think you just have to come out and take care of business. You got a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball, a lot of new faces. We've talked about that repeatedly with the the offensive line and the freshman quarterback and all the new port. And for those guys to get out and really continue to develop some cohesiveness and find an identity as to who they are and work on the things that they need to work on. So I think that's really important on the defensive side. You want to, you know, continue to play well and you certainly want to, Make sure that any guys that aren't 100%, if they have an opportunity to rest them, uh, you know, you'd like to see that and get get some of these younger guys some playing time. Absolutely. That's what it's all about uh, when you're playing someone like Kent State. You want uh, to respect them. You want to take care of business, uh, put the game away by halftime, and hopefully get a chance to play a lot of young players, not get anyone injured, and then move on to the SEC home opener uh, with Mark Stoops and the Kentucky Wildcats on October 1st. But, Rodney, uh, we always appreciate your time uh, on BAMS Radio. We got a chance to spend about 25 minutes or so with you. Great stuff, great insight. Uh, and, again, if you haven't, th- those of you that are members of TiderInsider.com, please check out that article on the junior college prospects. And, of course, the information is always free-flowing on TiderInsider.com. We thank you, Rodney, and have a good rest of your evening. We always appreciate uh, your uh, insight on uh, BAMS Radio. Hey, Drew, appreciate you guys having me on. Yes, sir. That's Rodney Orr of TiderInsider.com. John Garcia will be joining us in just a couple of minutes uh, from uh, Scout.com. Thomas Watts uh, is uh, uh, with me right now, and I think we are. We have been joined on the Sunbelt 10th hotline by uh, Mr. John Garcia. 
one of the hardest working men in the recruiting business. John, uh, good evening. Welcome to BAMS Radio. Good evening, fellas. You're, you're too kind. You're too kind with those words. Absolutely, man. And uh, we know uh, I wanted to let you lead off with some big information. You got us broke on scout.com, though. And I agree with what your sentiment and what you said, but it looks like a long-time Tide commitment is looking to enroll early at Alabama, and previously that was not expected or had, or at least had not been reported by the young man. Yeah, Brian Robinson, you know, the local commitment, four-star running back, big, strong, 6'1", 220-pound cat, downhill runner. Um, we had been told that there was some at least early academic question marks. So this was a situation we were told to monitor closely, basically saying – okay, this could be a Bo Scarborough, you know, down to the wire, see if he gets into type of thing. And then all of a sudden we talked to him last week after watching him play, and he's talking about being on, on pace to enroll early. <laughs> so clearly the academic situation has reversed. Uh, he's hit the ground running uh, and focused on it, and, and that's what he told us. He said he's really been jumping in on the academics to the point where he hasn't even taken visits. He wants to take trips, but the only one he's been to this thus far in the year over the first month is right down the street to Alabama. So he wants to get to Georgia, maybe Auburn, potentially uh, even a UCLA, um, but he hasn't been able to even set those up because he's been so focused, you know, in his studies. And obviously, no matter what happens, that's good news for the kid. Uh, every kid should want to at least have the opportunity to enroll early. And, and we're seeing it pay off at every school in the country, including Alabama, where guys like Jalen Hurts and, and Jonah Williams Guys who enroll early, even a Miller Forrestal, they're saying playing time that much sooner because of that head start. Absolutely, John. And uh, and I wanted to ask you, too, about another kid at uh, Hillcrest because you guys got a chance to evaluate him. Uh, he's a younger player, but he's a linebacker that seems to be rising, and that's uh, Jack Jones. Yeah, this kid, you know, he has the look of an SEC guy, at least of what we conventionally think when we think of SEC linebackers. You know, six foot one or so, maybe six two, uh, a good two twenty, two twenty five. So a big, strong kid uh, can play tackle to tackle, and he showed that against a good McAdory team that has, you know, Auburn commitment Malcolm Askew at quarterback. They've got, they've got a couple of good running backs, so he got his workout in that night, uh, and Hillcrest won the game, of course, last week, uh, and Jones was, again, a really good tackle-to-tackle type guy, thick, uh, plays with good strength, good leverage, doesn't try to do too much. You want to see him improve with the flexibility and ability in space because that's more conducive to what's going on in today's college football, but, but for him being a junior uh, and to know what's ahead of him and to know maybe where he needs to improve, he's got ample time uh, to correct that situation. Uh, already has a Michigan offer under his belt, uh, Bama, Auburn, LSU, many schools very interested in him, uh, and it really wasn't hard to see why. So just a rock-solid prospect, similar to some of these guys that we see in, in the class above him, like maybe Amani Rice or Kendrick Haynes down at Murphy High School, guys like that who are just rock-solid, high three-star types that, that will, will excel no matter what type of defense they go to in the next level. And then speaking of the next level, uh, there's there's an excellent article uh, that uh, from uh, scout.com about why elite receivers from South Florida keep ending up at Alabama. We've already seen what Jerry Judy uh, has done during his high school season. It seems every week he's putting on a show and uh, putting up big numbers and highlights. 
But uh, we, we, we kind of uh, – Amari Cooper kind of got this train rolling, uh, following in the footsteps of state kid Julio Jones. But now we've seen Calvin Ridley come along, and he has uh, had an outstanding start to his career. Jerry Judy, very close uh, to, that, uh, to Calvin Ridley, wanting to follow in his footsteps. It's been an interesting pipeline that Mario Cristobal has played a big part in. Yeah, Mario Cristobal is a lead recruiter for most of those guys um, geographically. But we really wanted to dive into it. So, you know, with my colleagues at Bama Mag, guys you know, like A.T. Stedham helped us out. He he took in a preseason game between the Raiders and Titans, and he got some good one-on-one time with Amari to dig into it a little bit more. And then we followed that, that up with availability with Calvin Ridley, and then we went to go see Jerry Judy play. Uh, earlier this month. So we just wanted to sort of get their perspective on the pipeline, what it means. And it really started with Cooper in every way. You know, obviously, tangibly, he was the first guy. But him excelling, and excelling as a freshman during that 2012 national championship season, that really broke out, you know, the, the perception down there. Because every other position, Bama had recruited well in Florida, uh, everywhere on the defense, along the offensive line, running back, et cetera. Bama had already really done that in Florida, but receiver was sort of that one position where perceptionally you didn't think of Bama when you thought of the best, you know, schools to go for, you know, as, as a wide receiver. So Cooper was, was so big in changing that, and he happened to be a Miami kid from one of the marquee high schools, Miami Northwestern, a longstanding power down there. Uh, and, of course, he was a freshman when he broke out. So it was easy for those kids to see he uh, has a great career, and it, it helps to, to pique that interest. And Calvin Ridley was the glue guy in this uh, sort of pipeline that's building down there. Of course, uh, another South Florida kid, two-way player, um, but just really excelled as a wide receiver, and he ends up replacing Amari Cooper and breaking a lot of his freshman records. So it, it just made a lot of sense for more guys to, to have their ears perked up and it just so happened that the next class, it was about Jerry Judy, his close friend, his former high school teammate, a guy who, you know, Ridley furthered both on the field and off the field. So he kind of acts like Ridley a little bit off the field, doesn't really like to talk to us very much, sort of does his thing, uh, maybe hits the retweet button a little more than Calvin. Um, so it was a natural fit for Bama there as well. And and, and I think Amari said it best. He said, look, you know, Bama knew about us, but they didn't know about the receivers, you know, so it had to take one guy to do it. And, and the quote we used for that story was, was now they know. And that was what Amari told us uh, about that pipeline. And it's something that you may not see end anytime soon. We mentioned Jerry Judy in this year's class and Bama's got offers out to three wide receivers in next year's class from Dade or Broward County. So it's something you can see continue. And, and, you know, these kids, they grow up. Now they know about Amari Cooper. They know he's from Miami. Uh, and the Bama connection sits right in the middle of all that. So it's something that I don't think slows down, especially with, you know, the, the open and more open nature uh, of this offense. Uh, absolutely. And then, John, uh, we've, we, we also know that Alabama – uh, is uh, trying to target linebackers uh, in this class. They've already got a very solid group, uh, you know, committed, but I know they want to add a piece or two. Uh, you've been talking about Jacob Phillips for a while from the, from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I like Monty Rice from James Clemens. Uh, they're still uh, monitoring Baron Browning, uh, who has not visited in a very long time, but uh, from the state of Texas. Uh, I know they'd like to add at least one more. Just what are your thoughts on the linebacker board? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's a big group, and they're all really good prospects who bring different things to the table. But if if this current group of commits holds, and that's, you know, Markel Benton, Vandarius Cowan, and Gary Johnson, if those guys hold true to their commitment, which it looks like they will, the only one who, who is a little cloudy among the three would be Gary Johnson, um, then there's only one spot, maybe, for a true inside guy. This isn't talking edge guys like a Jerez Parks or Chris Allen. Just We're talking traditional linebacker, uh, and when you think of that old part of the word. Um, so I think it's it's sort of a cluster, but all these guys, for the most part, are, are looking to make later decisions. But that's where Jacob Phillips comes in, because he's one of the, the rare ones who's actually – closer to ending the process. He's been taking a ton of official visits. He's been to Oklahoma. He's been to Notre Dame. Um, He's been to Oregon. Uh, Bama is in two weeks uh, when Kentucky is in town. And then he's looking to commit somewhere thereafter. So this could be a situation of as as much as Bama wants him, it will be revealed when he makes that commitment. So if he picks Bama, I think it tells you the tide went all in on him, like I would suspect they may. Uh, And if he doesn't, perhaps they feel better about some of those other guys that, that you mentioned in Monty Rice, Baron Browning, Dylan Moses is visiting that same weekend. Phillips is. And then the wild card that people aren't talking enough about in this linebacker um, grouping is Walter Grant, another kid from the state of Georgia. It's going to be a Bama, Georgia situation. Georgia may have a little bit of an advantage now, but he grew up a big Bama fan. He grew up liking how the tide represented itself. He was a big Reuben Foster fan. So all of that could still funnel its way back to the Bama side of the coin. And like Jacob Phillips, he's looking to make a decision fairly soon as well. So I think that's where it could get interesting. If Bama knows, hey, Jacob Phillips is ready to pop in the next month and Walter Grant is, there may be only space for one of those guys. How does Bama go about it? I think that'll be interesting to follow. We know Phillips will be visiting for that Kentucky weekend, but when does Walter Grant get back on campus? Our sources say he may take one more trip to both Bama and Georgia before making the decision. So Bama's got some home games coming up, so you would think that he'd be on campus for at least one of those. And uh, the defensive line, we talked to Rodney Orr about four junior college prospects, but they'd still like to add, I think, two or three high school kids. We know LeBron Ray at defensive end is very high on that list, but I'm still hearing a lot of things about Fidarian Mathis, Fun uh, from Monroe, Louisiana, and we w- I wanted to get your take also. Uh, it seems like Alabama really turning up the heat on Aubrey Solomon. Yeah, you know, that was a, a kid who, starting with Solomon there, uh, who Bama led for publicly before he he really made one of the biggest recruiting shocks, you know, of the summer in picking Michigan. kid from Lee County, Georgia, that's South Georgia, east of Auburn, I mean, this kid had no ties to Michigan, but Jim Harbaugh had the satellite camp down there. He then took a visit up there without his mom, fell in love, committed, even with her not being there. And obviously, a couple months later, um, that was reversed, and, and he backed off of that. But before all of that, Michigan was, was not even talked about. Bama was his leader. And then before that, it was a Georgia situation. So I think now, geographically you expect Bama and Georgia to be heavily in there. Like you said, Bama's turning up the heat. This could be the best defensive tackle in the country. It's not a great DT year like we saw uh, in the 2016 class. Um, So that makes it more important for Bama to get some of the top guys this year because there's just not a lot of depth like like there was a season ago where there were, I think, six five-star defensive tackles and a lot more 
in the top 100. This year you might have five or six in the top 100, and that may be it. It's just not a great year. So a guy like Solomon who could challenge for number one, he needs to be a priority, and he is for Alabama and for Georgia. And Michigan's still in it technically for him, though it would be a surprise if he recommitted to Jim Harbaugh. So I think he's one that will be interesting because he did make that early pledge. I think he takes his time, so that benefits Bama because certainly Georgia – has a lot of the momentum right now. He's an in-state guy. We mentioned he's from South Georgia. That is Kirby Smart territory, even when he was at Bama. Uh, So that's going to be tough to overcome. But, again, Bama has already led at one point, so we'll see if it could regain that. Uh, Fedarian Mathis out of Louisiana, he's a versatile guy, and that's something you're seeing a lot with these Bama D-line targets. Uh, The guy that got committed, a Kyle Byers, very similar, you know, one of these 6'4", 285 type guys who can play inside, outside. You're Jonathan Allen's, you're Deron, uh, not Deron Payne's, you're Deshaun Hands of the world. That's what Bama's looking for to combat these spread offenses, but still be big and strong enough to play that traditional defensive tackle spot. So Mathis fits that to a T. So does Elijah Conliff, a kid out of Virginia who's just over 300 pounds now. Um, so it's a sort of a, a similar group of defensive linemen, but Solomon could be the most talented uh, among those guys, and that's one that I think Bama uh, could hold out a spot for really to the very end of the recruiting process. So he's the one I'd keep the closest eye on, though. Conliff, whenever he gets back to campus, he could make a decision. Bama is his public leader right now, and Mathis is really shaping up to be a Bama-LSU battle, so we'll see how those coaching situations weigh on that decision later on. And then that's a perfect segue, John. Uh, because we know Les Miles is on the hot seat at LSU, and they could make a coaching change. So could that that? I mean, I guess it really uh, that's a, that's something to watch because if they make a coaching change, there's always a transition there, bringing in a new staff. They've got a lot of players that they've kind of gone head to head with Alabama on, and that could be back out on the market. That that could benefit the Tide uh, down the stretch if Les Miles is uh, not retained. Yeah, and that's going to be big. You know, I think for some of these guys, and Mathis could be in this boat, it could just be a pride thing. You know, there's been a lot of negative energy, if you will, with LSU, both the football team, and really outside in that community with the flooding and obviously all the displacement that's happened over the last decade there. There's a certain pride in Louisiana that I think will will help in recruiting although we certainly don't want to tie into, you know, real problems with recruiting problems. But I think that could actually help LSU in the long run. And then the second layer to look at here is who is retained. If Les is gone, does Ed Orgeron stick around? I think he's one of the biggest keys to that LSU staff, particularly in recruiting. Obviously, he coaches the D-line as well. So when you're looking at guys like Tyler Shelvin, uh, who's an LSU commit, Bama likes at D-tackle, Fidarian Mathis, as you mentioned, uh, even guys like Dylan Moses or Chris Allen, other Louisiana natives who Bama really likes, I think that's where you could really see an impact. Uh, Les Miles is a big, important piece, but but when you get down to it, it's about those assistant coaches that you've built relationships with, and, and nobody on that staff can recruit like Ed Orgeron. And, and a lot of these guys are defensive linemen, so they would be his position coach anyway, so they have a great relationship, as you would imagine, with Coach O. So I think that's where it gets really interesting. Either way, there, there stands to be some type of Bama benefit with these guys, if LSU does lose, let's say, Saturday to Auburn and things really heat up for less miles. But depending on how much of a clean house situation it is and the timing of it all, I don't know if it'll be a home run. You know, Bama's going to have their pick with all these guys 
type of situation. But either way, it will benefit Alabama. Uh, and there's a lot of D-line targets, as you mentioned, that are 50-50 type guys. So you would imagine the tide would get one of the, the, the group between, you know, your your Mathises and, and your Shelvins, uh, maybe even a Marvin Wilson out of Texas who, you know, at one point seemed like he was almost down to LSU at Alabama. So there will be a benefit. We just don't know how big, depending on uh, how big those dominoes are once it hits the fan. Absolutely. And I also wanted to ask you about the last uh, line of defense, the secondary. We believe Alabama wants to add another corner. Uh, Sean Wade has been a big topic of conversation uh, from Trinity High School in Jacksonville, Florida, and another safety. Uh, you've uh, at scout.com have been keeping up with this as well as anyone, the board uh, at corner and safety. Kind of talk about where that may stand right now for Alabama down the stretch. And, of course, that could affect uh, uh, the LSU situation could affect that as well because I think Alabama is continuing to recruit uh, Jacoby Stevens, who is committed. Yeah, you know, we'll start with the safety side of the coin there. Drew, as you alluded to, Jacoby Stevens, a kid um, from Tennessee, seemed like it was a Bama-LSU thing there at the end of his recruitment, picked LSU where he has great connections. That one, the staff, you would imagine, will be huge in determining whether or not he stays with uh, the Tigers. But Bama certainly should continue to recruit him. Versatile kid, could be a linebacker, could be a safety, a hybrid Ronnie Harrison maybe type guy down the road. So that's something Bama obviously wants going forward. Uh, Todd Harris, another kid from Louisiana. Everyone thought he was an LSU lock for a very long time. However, that wasn't the case. You know, he was was closing in on a decision late in the summer, and it really looked like a Bama Ole Miss type of scenario. But LSU has gotten back into this race. Um, But uh, with the turmoil there, Uh, and really him wanting to take additional visits. I think a school like Miami could get him on campus. I think that's going to push his decision-making process closer to National Signing Day. So that, again, benefits for Bama should something go down at LSU. So those two safeties are are some of the most interesting. You've still got the elite guys nationally. Devin Hunter, number one safety in the country out of Virginia. I think the in-state school, Virginia Tech and Florida, ahead of Bama right now for him, but he is going to take an official visit. Long way to go with a kid like that. I think he's committing mid-December, so you've got uh, three more months, basically, to uh, try to close that gap. Uh, D'Angelo Gibbs, a kid out of Georgia, still high on the list for Bama, still taking visits, has been to Bama in the last couple months. You expect him to get back. So there's a lot of safeties in this conversation. That's, That's the equation we're getting to. Corner, a little more narrow. You mentioned Sean Wade, easily the top target, easily the clear focus committed to Ohio State, but most sources indicate that Ohio State commitment not going to stick. I mean, he's already taken one official visit despite being an Ohio State commit, and, you know, Urban Meyer is one of these few coaches who has a pretty strict no-visit policy. So Wade has already taken an official visit elsewhere. He was at Notre Dame last week, and so I think that tells you a lot about where Ohio State thinks it stands for Wade. So that will benefit Bama and Florida, who are also in the race for him. But he's got family in the state of Alabama. They've long felt good about him. But beyond that, it's it's very interesting. You've got long and lean corners, this new age of corners, this new type of cornerback out there that everybody wants. And Bama's in on many of these guys. Uh, Tyreek Castro-Field is a kid out of Washington, D.C., a, a recent uh, new four-star on scout.com. He's one who's going to be in town for the Iron Bowl. We'll see how much Bama wants him. Uh, and then we just found out yesterday, Stanford Samuels, the number one corner in the country, in my opinion, Florida State commitment, Florida State legacy, 
he is going to take an official visit to Alabama. So it will be tough to get him off of that FSU pledge. He is a legacy, as we mentioned, and his dad is his high school coach, for goodness sakes. But uh, he did camp at Bama this summer, wanted that one-on-one time with Saban. He got it with Saban, and now he's going to return at least one more time to Tuscaloosa, so Bama has a fighting chance there. So some clarity uh, on that corner board. They want long, lean guys. The safety board, much more up in the air and many more names. But I think two more DBs overall out of all these that we've discussed is a likely scenario for Bama at this point. And then uh, we're going to get a chance to see Mr. Electric on ESPN television on Friday night. I believe, uh, John, uh, De La Salle High School hosting Antioch in a battle of three-and-one teams, which means Najee Harris will be on display for America. Yeah, and if, and if you've never seen him in action or watched a video, one, you probably don't have the Internet, but two, you know, you're going to be in for a real treat. This is the closest thing that we've seen to a Leonard Fournette, Adrian Peterson type of guy, just this once-in-a-decade feel type of running back, 6'2", 220, 4.50 in the 40, can jump over you, can run past you, certainly can run through you. He ran over two guys on one long touchdown run just last week. Um, and he's a really good receiver out of the backfield and teammate. I mean, he, he sort of checks every single box. That's why he's the number one player in the country for us. Um, not much you can say negatively about him. Um, and this will be his first, you know, TV game against a big-time opponent. So it'll be interesting to see how he sort of rises to the occasion because you better believe he'll, he'll be facing, you know, eight, nine, ten in the box at times um, uh, against him. But it's something that he likes. That's what he loves. Uh, that's why he picked Alabama. He wants to compete. He wants to, to sort of take his lumps. He wants to be one of the guys. You know, even though he's the number one player in the country and he'll have unrealistic expectations around him, he wants to be a, a teammate. He wants to be one of the guys. He doesn't want to be that Mr. Five-Star, you know, hyped from day one type of kid, which is, of course, very ironic. Um, but this will be a good stage for him, and, and he'll, of course, rise up to it. It'll be a good treat for Bama fans to check out. And, and so far, so good with his commitment. I know uh, that question floats around a ton because he doesn't say much, but guess what? Najee Harris has not been on any other campus this fall as far as we know, and he only has one visit planned going forward as far as we know, and that's another visit to Tuscaloosa with mom for the official visit. It will be her third trip to Tuscaloosa. So all signs looking pretty good at this point uh, for Bama retaining the number one player in the country, which uh, according to scout.com at least, Bama has never signed that number one guy. So a lot of number one classes, but never the number one guy on our network. So we'll see if this is the year that that Bama gets over that final uh, theoretical hump. Absolutely. I mean, John, to close it out with you, and we – Thank you for joining us for about 25 minutes here on BAM's radio tonight. Uh, where will you be headed? Are you going to be on the road Friday night uh, scouting a prospect? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there was two can't-miss games in BAMA for me. There were actually three uh, this week. Uh, Spanish Fort playing – I'm sorry, Blunt playing McGill Toolin. So, I mean, state mm, champion yeah. implications there, you know, studs in the Mobile area, probably the two best teams in that area this year. That was hard to say no to. I was going to go up to North Alabama. You had Madison Academy and Tanner. It was going to be Chedarius Townsend, the Bama commit, against Austin Troxel, the Auburn commit, a guy who I had number one in my preseason Alabama 100. But unfortunately, we learned that Troxel retore that same ACL in the leg. Yeah. Uh, so he's done for the season, and it's, it's just awful news. You never want to hear it, but because of that, 
we're going to go to the next best game, which is probably going to be the best, you know, actual high school football game between the three, Clay Chalkville, James Clemens, Nico Collins, LeBron Ray, Monty Rice, Kyrie McDonald, the Bama commitment. And these are a lot of Saturday players on the football field uh, in one location. So I'll be excited to head out to that one, my first look at, at these guys as seniors with the pads on. So I'm very much looking forward to that. You know the camera will be rolling, and we'll have a lot of coverage uh, after that point. Absolutely, and LeBron Ray has been dominant the last couple of weeks, and that James Clemens defense uh, has been uh, playing well. Just need to figure out some things at the quarterback position on offense. Uh, Coach Walter and that staff are trying to figure that out, but still a very talented squad, as you said, and Clay Chalkville, so explosive offensively. Well, John, we always appreciate the time. Uh, always enjoy the recruiting talk. You do a great job at scout.com. Let everybody know, of course, about your Twitter feed. And uh, Scout HS Alabama, you do an outstanding job with it as well. Yeah, you know, we're, we're busy all over the state on Friday nights. Scout HS Alabama, we get scores, we, we get highlights at times, and then, of course, we cover our own games as well. So a good one-stop shop for those keeping up with prospects and simple games and scores alike, Scout HS Alabama. And then yours truly, at John Garcia underscore JR a combination of state of Alabama, University of Alabama, and really Southeast recruiting. We try to cover all bases there. Uh, but, again, Friday night we will be locked in in Pinton, Alabama, for Clay Chalkville, James Clemens. should be fun. should be a lot of Saturday guys on the field, uh, and we're excited about it. Absolutely. And uh, no telling uh, who, what assistant coaches may show up either. So it should be some good stuff. Great stuff, John. We'll definitely be monitoring and waiting for your video and stories from uh, that ball game uh, thank you for joining uh, the BAMS Radio tonight. Have a great rest of your evening. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, fellas. Until next time. That's John Garcia, Jr. of Scout.com, Mag.com. Thomas Watts, an excellent two hours of BAMS Radio. It settled down for us in hour number two. It did. It calmed down and no technical issues. I'll be up late editing things to make it pretty for the morning, but – that's, that's yeah, I don't want to, part of the job. You know, my, my, <laughs> part, 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 uh, pardon me for my outburst in hour number one. Uh, just it a little, was just a little <laughs> bit bizarre, but was able to fix that on the fly. I'm kind of proud of myself. I really don't know uh, why the settings keep changing uh, via Skype, but we appreciate everybody for joining us live and, in, and enduring that. And uh, I hope you enjoyed all the talk for the Crimson Tide here on uh, BAMS Radio. We want to appreciate our guests. Our third amigo, of course, William Redfish Barger in hour number one. And then hour number two, Rodney Orr, the founder and owner of TiderInsider.com, and John Garcia, Jr. of Scout.com. Great stuff from those two guys, and we enjoyed all the, the banter. And uh, we in, and thank you to everyone in the chat room and uh, our Twitter followers and, of course, all of our live listeners. Hope you enjoyed BAMS Radio, Alabama, 11 o'clock in the morning against the Kent State Golden Flashes. Hopefully no one gets injured. Have a nice big win. Get ready for the home opener against Kentucky. And we'll talk about it next week, 7 o'clock p.m. Thursday on BAMS Radio. Everyone have a great rest of your evening. We'll talk to you next week and roll tide.